The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. And it might not even reflect the views of you, the listener. Because I got to tell you, it was shocking, earth-shattering, walls were shaking, earth was quaking. Imran Razvi called you a sinner, my friend, if you're on your way to church and celebrating today as recognizing today as the Sabbath. Because towards the end of last week's show, Imran Razvi, I asked him a point blank. I said, so people that don't have the Sabbath be the seventh day of the week, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, but instead they say that Sunday is the Sabbath day. Are they sinning? And he said, yes. <laughs> so, and then the show had to end. So uh, we're picking up on that uh, note this week. And... Uh, Chomping at the bit to share a, a bit of scripture at the time was Stephen Yerger, and so we're going to let him do that in just a second. But let me share with you what's going on. You are listening to Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. I am Troy Skinner, a longtime host of this show and also the pastor of Household of Faith in Christ online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Imran Rasby, you just heard his voice a second ago. He's the founder of Conquered by Love Ministries. They have a website, conqueredbylove.org. And we're joined this week, as we were last week, by Stephen Yerger. Uh, he's part of a congregation, part of the leadership of the congregation that meets and calls themselves the Shabbat Gathering, and they meet in southern Pennsylvania. Imran's church is in the Thermont area, and I'm, uh, I'm in the Frederick City area. And I did my best to try to represent uh, the, the views of those that aren't represented in this room last week. You know, if you don't like the way I represented you or you don't like the way I'm going to represent you this week, send your hate mail to Imran. And if you don't like what he said about you being a sinner, definitely send your hate mail to Imran. So, uh, Stephen, what did you uh, what were you chomping at the bit last week to share about uh, people not meeting or worshiping? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Recognizing the Sabbath day being the seventh day, but instead the first day. They're in sin, and you agree with Imran because of why? Well, in 1 John uh, 2, verse 7, it says, Beloved... I am not writing you a new commandment to you, but I'm writing an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. So, again, First John is pretty clear on the definition of sin. Uh, the definition of sin is lawlessness, and lawlessness is breaking the law, breaking the commandment. So, I think we have something that we have to kind of look at here and say, hmm, uh, this is the Word of God's definition, and that might be a little difficult to swallow because traditionally, culturally, historically, we've been told Shabbat's on Sunday, or worship as the Sabbath. So I, at the very end of last week's show, I teased the fact that I was going to share my view because we talked for 25 minutes last week on the various views of the Sabbath. We condensed it, I think, reasonably well, but uh, we covered all the views except mine. <laughs> and so I'm going to share my view now, which uh, as, as strong a view you guys hold, and as strong a view as David Forsey might hold for if he were here to defend himself, uh, I think you guys don't have a view that's strong enough. And the reason I say that is in the spirit of what Jesus says regarding all the other commandments in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and in light of how I understand how to read Hebrews chapter 4, um, and based upon the connection between what happens in Genesis and what happens in Revelation, uh, I think that, so let me set it up this way. Everybody's going to agree that if I go sleep around with somebody I'm not married to, that I'm guilty of adultery, and uh, that's a sin. Unless you do it on Sunday, it's okay. And, 
And Jesus says, if you've had, you know, if you've had uh, fantasy thoughts along those lines in your personal thought life, you've committed adultery in your heart. So he doesn't get rid of the law. He expounds upon the fullness of what the law really means. And he does that with every example he gives. You've heard it written this, but I'm here to tell you it's way more than you even thought possible. If we apply that to the Sabbath, which is also one of the commandments, and we look at what God does on the seventh day, he rested for the seventh day, and we are to enter into that Sabbath, and we will enter into that perfect Sabbath in glory in Revelation. And my view of how uh, the Scripture outlines the timing of things, there's already an inbreaking of that future glory now. There's an overlap of the age. So we are a new creation, yet we still wrestle against sin. Right? We are now saved, and yet we await our full salvation. You know, there, so there's this overlap of the ages. And with that in view, I think to pick any one day as the day that should be our day of rest is, I think, missing the point. I think the Christian should be treating every single day as a Sabbath day. And that doesn't mean you don't work because you can do good work. You should do good work on the Sabbath. So the Christian should be doing nothing but good work, God-honoring work, worshipful work, praying without ceasing seven days a week. So I think that that's a, a broader application of what the Sabbath should be. Now, practically speaking, does that mean that people shouldn't take a day a week and say, you know what, i got to recharge the batteries. It's good, smart, and right to, to, to take a break, to rest, to cool my heels for a stretch. I think that's totally fine. But to get dogmatic about a particular day, I think, is missing the point. So that's my I idea. would take you to point on this uh, issue. There is a prophetic shadow picture consistently through the scriptures. The seventh day that we keep every week shows the seventh millennium. It shows the thousand-year reign of Christ. It shows where Jesus says the government's on his shoulders, and he's ruling and reigning. If you take the Sabbath day and meld it with any other day, then you destroy the picture that I believe the Father is trying to show us with the consistency of the Scriptures. I disagree I, completely. I, I appreciate your heart, but I think... Jesus the, is the, Lord now. He is Lord he's now. He's King of Kings now. But he's not... There's a lot of people that are not following here on the earth. There's coming a time when he will have... That's why he has the rod of iron, because there's the, the nations are going to follow him, and there's not going to be a lot of rebellion in the thousand years. But right now we have rebellion, we have sin, we have murder, we have war, we have disease, we have sickness, we have all kinds of things. And that shows that the prince of this world has still been given authority, limited authority, to do what he is doing. But there's coming a time when God himself is going to put an end to all that. It's just a point that why the Sabbath needs to be honored above all other days so that you don't destroy so I think the we're nature. in the millennium right now. So okay, that so okay. with with that view that would okay that's cool then that that, uh, that I, removes the thrust of your argument to, to me anyway because I'm I'm millennial in my in oh cool gotcha that's probably going to be another podcast yeah so <laughs> so anyway so that's why I, and uh, I, you know it's not that that's uh, why uh, I. I hold the Sabbath view that I do, but that's why that sort of an argument doesn't bear any weight. I'm like, it's all the more reason to support my view. But my view is I'm, I'm trying to argue and grapple with Scripture. And if I apply the same standard to the commandments that Jesus does throughout the Sermon on the Mount to the Sabbath, what's the implication? 
And I feel like it's not smaller. It's not the same as it always was in the Old Testament. It's bigger than that. It's more expansive than that. And so, and then again, Hebrews chapter 4 is admittedly a difficult passage, a difficult chapter to, to navigate. It, it's, it, 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 it's tough sledding. Uh, and so I'm not saying I've got it nailed down completely, but my understanding of Hebrews chapter 4 uh, reinforces the idea that we are to... Um, treat every day as the Sabbath because we've entered into a Sabbath rest even now because our high priest is reigning even now. Um, so anyway, so he's in heaven, but he's not ruling on earth. He's ruling in heaven, making intercession for us always for us that we're, you know, as his sheep and his people. But there's coming a time when the new Jerusalem is going to come down on the earth. It says, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. That, that is the prophetic fulfillment of that when... Well, he is the ruler even now. It's just that everybody now is, is abiding by his rule. But, yes. Right? That, well, there's, there's, there's a lot of difficulty uh, to see where that is. Right now, it seems like his rulership's within the heart of the believer. In other words, you know... Not even perfectly there, though. Right? Yeah. Well, that's why you get to the point when you're... I when can't speak for you two, but I sinned today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know? Seriously. Uh, of course. That's why we have him ever see, ever right? making intercession for us. You know, Thank so, God for Jesus, right? So Jesus is Lord over my life, and yet I'm not fully obedient to him. Jesus is Lord over every go- government on this planet, but they're not obedient to him. I mean, they should be. That's what Romans chapter 13 says. They should be. They should do what he says, but they don't. And when they don't, we as the people of God need to hold them account and call them to God's standard because he is Lord of Lord, King of Kings, I would argue even now. So anyway, that's the, the Sabbath. And we can get into the—and we've done in the years of doing this show, trust me, we've done countless shows on end times views and that sort of thing. Uh, in fact, we did one not that long ago. You just weren't part of it. Uh, I don't think you were part of it either, Imran. No, I think Daniel, we, yeah, I was not. Yeah, so maybe we'll do it again with, with uh, a different—because uh, people. people are interested in it. I've, uh, I'm now uh, posting the Faith Debate shows in a, on a platform, Sermon Audio, uh, so you can check that out. You can link to it through our website, householdoffaithinchrist.com, and go to Sermon Audio that way, or you can just go straight to sermonaudio.com and search for Household of Faith in Christ, and all the Faith Debate shows are being loaded there. I put one new one up every day until I get all 18 years' worth up there, so it's going to be a little while. <laughs> but anyway, there's, you know... Two, three hundred of them up there right now, and I've noticed something that's interesting because I get real good metrics, you know, data analysis of the stuff. Things that focus on evangelism get a lot of downloads, and things that focus on end time stuff get a lot of downloads. Yeah. More than anything else, those two are leading the way. So that said, uh, let me reset. We're almost halfway through this episode, not quite, but I'll, I'll reset. So I'm Troy Skinner, Imran Razvi, and uh, the last guy you, you, I think you heard interacting with me was Stephen Yerger, and we're here talking about the Sabbath broadly, but now we're shifting into something that came up last week, uh, and that's Marcionism, a, a, a gross heresy uh, from like 100 years after Jesus. It didn't take long for this gross heresy to, to emerge. And last time when we had uh, Stephen uh, on for a series of uh, shows a couple months ago, I think you were on, and uh, afterwards you suggested, hey, there's this thing and this other thing. I mean, you mentioned three, four, five different things that might be good show topics, and one of them was Martianism. And it might have been because of the Sabbath connection. Mm-hmm. Yes. But you also said some things about, uh, you know, an anti-Hebraic uh, Hebraic roots 
move in the church. I think that was a phrase that you used. I, I made notes. Yeah, and, and therefore being some sort of antagonism, uh, uh, antagonism between a law and grace. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can talk about it in that context. What were you meaning for us to cover? Like, what, what do you think the great threat of Marcionism is today in the church? Good question. Marcionism is basically a second, te- second century heretic named Marcion. And he had a real antagonistic view towards one, the Jews, two, the Sabbath, three, the law, four, the Old Testament. He felt that... Most of the New Testament, too, by the way. Correct. (laughs) He actually wrote a Bible that started out with pretty much Paul's letters, and the first book to lead the way was Galatians. So, Yeah, not even all of Paul's letters. It was like 10 of them. Correct. And, and it, not all the Gospels. Isn't that amazing? I think, I think, I'm going off my memory here, but I think he only accepted one Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, because of Luke's connection to Paul. And even that, I don't think, I think he excised huge portions of the Gospel of Luke. So the guy is a rank heretic. But, <laughs> but anyway. Well, Jerome, other early church fathers called him out, said he was a wolf, a heretic. And uh, he really influenced a large part of the church world uh, then. And unfortunately, his writing survived. And Augustine, Luther, Calvin, a lot of these reformers, they picked up his writings and basically... Actually, just real quick as a point, because the gotcha police, I've had to deal with them for years... Uh, I, I think, I could be wrong, you might be right, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the the way we should say that is that none of his writings survived, but there are citations of his writings among other church fathers that have survived. And so that's how we can piece together what he thought and what he wrote. But I don't think there's any actual work of Marcion that, is, that has made it, has, has survived till today. If I stand corrected, then you can send your gotcha police mail to me. I, I can do that. But uh, I can do that. No I, problem. I, but just, uh, but just the point case. is... The damage is done. The damage is done. And um, so he, you know, the God of the Old Testament, the demagogue, the God that, you know, killed people and was evil. Yeah, and the hard. demiurge, I think he yes. called it, right? The demiurge. And then the God of the New Testament is the God of love. And uh, you can see how this is rippled down through the ages and even in in our modern theological thinking. I mean, we have Schofield and we have uh, early church, um, not early church, I'm just thinking about the uh, uh, theologians that really had an influence on early seminaries. Uh, Schofield, you know, really talked a lot about dispensationalism. And if you look at these teachings and you understand what Marcionism and what he's about, you can see how Marcionism traveled all the way through the centuries. And I think that's why today we have such an antagonism between law and grace. There's so much grace in the Old Testament if you know where to find it. How many times did God said, Moses, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to blast these people. And yet Moses falls on his face and intercedes for the people being like a type of Christ. And, you know, the wrath to not destroy the people. I mean, it's just... It's an amazing thing to see how um, mercy and grace and, you know, what's, what's the law say? Jesus said the two greatest commandments, 
Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this, you fulfill all the law and the prophets. Now, we've already dropped some, some names and phrases that uh, the, the casual observer might be a little bit lost in the weeds on. So just in fairness, I'm going to do what I can to very neat, as quickly and neatly as I can try to knit some things together. So the, the Demiurge idea, it, it ties back to Greek philosophical uh, categories. Uh, uh, Plato was a big advocate of the Demiurge idea. And if I, I'm not 100%, it's been a long time since I've been in seminary classes, but my recollection is that Demiurge, the, the, a, a near approximation anyway on a translation into English of what that word means is architect. So it's the idea that there's, there's the God who's the God of love, which is what Steve was just talking about. And this God of love has a lesser God, a, a, a created being, a created God, the Demiurge, who is commissioned to be the architect. According to one line of thought, another line of thought is he wasn't commissioned at all. He created everything without permission. <laughs> but regardless, there's this architect who, who created everything, but that creator God isn't the ultimate God. And so Martian tying into all these Platonic and Greek philosophical categories and stuff, it led him to then want to reject all of these things because, well, the Old Testament's talking about what this architect, this lesser God did, and he was a bad God. He's not even the true God. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he introduces us to, through the, Paul, the writings of the Apostle Paul, who the true God really is, and so that's where we should center. So he, he jettisons we have six, well, Protestants hold to 66 uh, books of the Bible, and Marcion had maybe a dozen. I mean, I mean, like, he got rid of almost everything. And so, so anyway, that's the demiurge and trying to flesh out some of the Marcion ideas uh, as best as we can. You mentioned the, the uh, Schofield, S.I. Schofield. He's famous for his Schofield reference Bible back in the 1800s. Uh, he was a student of, uh, of Darby. Was it Francis Darby? Mm-hmm. Francis Darby. Uh, Francis Darby, uh, uh, one of the early proponents of... Uh, I'm not sure it was called dispensationalism then, but it certainly came to be called dispensationalism. And uh, Schofield's reference Bible became a very preferred Bible among uh, evangelicals, conservative Bible believers. And so it's had a huge impact on the American church over the last, you know, 100 plus years. So. Are you familiar with that? Um, one of the things that Schofield did was they donated uh, a lot of his Bible, Schofield Bible, the Bible notes to a lot of the seminaries of the day. And that's part of the planting of the dispensational thought and putting it into uh, okay. So the those are the so now you can tell the players with the scorecard a little bit. But I want to to clarify. So are you making a connection between Martianism and Schofield and dispensationalism? Are you saying dispensationalism has been negatively affected by Martian's thinking? Yes, I think dispensationalism is Martianism in modern day language. It's it's a theological. Uh, Expose. Hmm. Okay. Not that it's going to matter, but it might help me to lead the discussion uh, more efficiently. Would you? Are you? You consider yourself historic pre-mill, post-mill? Like, what would be your 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 view on that? Well, I'm because, not a pre-mill. So you're not like a a pre-trib, pre-mill, no. like because that's kind of more the dispensational systems of right. eschatology. Right. Okay. I believe we're going to go through the tribulation. If that answers right. your question. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we, I think we both believe that we're going to go through the tribulation, that we are protected from God's wrath, but we will see the destruction around us, just like uh, the Goshen was protected from God's wrath. They still had some of the plagues, but uh, then God's wrath was uh, averted from them. 
I think the same thing is going to happen to us. And then after that, when Jesus comes back, then he'll rule for a millennium here on earth uh, as the as the rightful judge of the earth. So that's where. Okay. We yeah, that, it's my. I got to sidetrack a little because I want to stay focused on the. the but that is, that is helpful, uh, and hopefully it's helpful to the listener as well. So I, I already used this phrase about being anti-Hebraic roots in the church. So what are examples that you're seeing in the church today where they're anti? Well, okay. roots. If you obviously we talked about the Sabbath, so you would say that's one, right? Okay. What are some other ones? To give clarity, uh, Marcion wanted to, to divide from anything that was Jewish. Okay, uh, Marcion wanted to divide from the from the Sabbath, and of course the the Hebraic scriptures. So when I use the term in context Hebraic scriptures, I'm just talking about the whole Word of God, the whole Old Testament. Right. Okay, the whole the Old Testament, Genesis one to Malachi four, uh, the entire which I, Tanakh, I think, is exactly what, right. So, you know, there's a saying that the Old Testament is a shadow of the New. It's it's basically revelation. If you want to understand what's going to happen at the end of the book, you need to read the front of the book, and it's it's really our history, our heritage of a people of God. Paul spends three good chapters in Romans, Romans 9, Romans 10, and 11, about how we as believers, Gentile and Jewish, were all grafted into the nation of Israel. So if you take the time and go through Romans 11, it will give you a good, accurate um, theological position of just who we are in Christ and who we are in the uh, kingdom of God, as it is defined in the scriptures. Let me ask you this. A, a while back, and I was only reminded of because uh, I've been uploading all of these uh, shows onto Sermon Audio, and so I've been able to listen to some segments of old shows and refreshes my memory of things. It's like a trip down memory lane. And I got to say, if I do say so, some of the shows we've done over the years have been pretty darn good and compelling. Sadly, some of the shows we've done have been pretty awful, too, so <laughs> it's hit or miss. <laughs> anyway, on one of the shows, we were, it wasn't the main topic, but it came up in conversation talking about the, uh, the, uh, you know, the tradition of America, and we talk about our Judeo-Christian heritage. And it kind of struck me, and it still does bug me a little bit, what do we mean by the Hebraic or the, the, the Judeo, rather, the Judeo-Christian heritage, the Judeo, the true Judeo heritage, the old, is the Christian heritage. So why can't we just say Christian heritage? Is that example of what you're talking about? Like, somebody who says that, saying, look, the Old Testament, that's not really Christian, but we're going to include the Judeo part as part of our culture here. Is that part of what you're saying, like trying to get distance ourselves from the, the Judaism of the past? Well, we're not Judaism. And it's, if you look clearly how Jesus, how the apostles, I mean, Jesus talked about keeping his commandments, following him. And we have a whole history of the Old Testament of a people, a nation, a language. And there's promises to Abraham. And I think I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you as God's referring to his conversation with, with Abraham. So there's a lot of things that, you know, we inherit our blessings in our 
Judeo-Christian faith. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but, um, you know, there's, a, there's an aspect that is, um, there's a lot of heritage there. I, I don't have a little bit of a loss for words, but there's, the Old Testament is something that is got a lot of history well, I think the main thing is Judeo-Christian. You can't have Christian without Judeo. Without the Old right. Testament, so I there think is it, no Christ. So it's redundant in a sense. Right. Okay. It is, but that's the foundation. So to me— Well, Christian is the foundation because the, the parts of the Judeo that are uh, applicable are part of the Christian heritage as well. It just feels redundant. By the way, we're going to have to finish up and carry this thought over because we've, uh, we've only got like less than 60 seconds left. So I just rudely cut off Imran Razvi. He's with uh, Conquered by Love Ministries. Conqueredbylove.org is the website. Uh, Stephen Yerger's with the uh, Shabbat Gathering up in Southern PA. I'm Troy Skinner, pastor of Household of Faith in Christ, online, online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Of course, you can follow the show and everything we do at the radio station at wfmd.com as well. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now, God bless.